Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Before, before Renee prayed, I, I, uh, I heard God say, you need to go mad. You need to go make a difference. That's what it's about. It's about making a difference for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's nothing else. When we die, we stand before him. And it's what we did here for him that makes a difference. Amen? I, I heard a song this morning, and it's, it's I, I've probably heard it 25 times, um, but it really just struck me this morning, the lyrics to the song. It says, I am nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that saved me. It's all about Jesus. Amen? That's it. It's about Jesus. So before I preach this morning, I'd like you to stand up. We're going to do it Dominican style this morning. I want you to put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. Because we are one body. One. One. There's one Jesus. There's one body. There's one church. So Lord, as we stand before you this morning, we honor you. You are our Father. You are who we adore. And Lord, we ask that your continued presence is upon this service. We pray that the words that are spoken, Lord, edify each other and they edify you. May they pierce the hearts of your children to want to run after you and serve you. Not just with part of their heart, but with all of their heart. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this body. We thank you that we are one in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So what I'd like to talk about is, is your faith evolving? Now, I'm not talking about evolution. But is your faith and dedication to Jesus Christ greater today than it was when you first decided to give your life to him? I can't answer that. Only you can. Let's talk what it means to evolve. What does it mean to evolve? It means to develop gradually. It means to go from a simple form to a more complex form. In other words, to grow. So let's look at some things that have evolved over the years. And you're probably going to laugh, and I'm probably going to date myself a little bit. But I'm going to date myself a lot. So the phone. Now, I know all you millennials will probably not understand this. But when I was a kid, the phone was on the wall in the house. You can relate to that, right? And it wasn't a, a push button. It was a rotary. Oh, yeah. Everybody that's going, yeah, knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so at my house, at my house, when you answered the phone, it had a really short cord. But if you had cool parents, the cord was really long so you could hang on over here. And you were cool. If you had this long cord, you were cool. I wasn't cool. But now... We have this. This thing can do everything. Because the phone 
has evolved. <clears throat> Believe it or not, this, this happened before I was born. In 1908, <clears throat> the Model T was built. And so, that's a, that's a car. <clears throat> and so, you had to go to the car to crank it up to start it to go. And then every time you shut the car off, you'd have to crank it up again to start it to go again. So there's a new car out. It's in production. It will, it will come to uh, be birthed in 2020. It's called the Hennessy Venom. It goes from zero to 60 in two seconds. It's street legal, and its top end is 301 miles an hour. So if you want to buy me one of those, I would take it in red. <clears throat> but that's evolved. The car has evolved over those years. Remember how exciting it was when you first found Jesus? Do you remember that? Come on. I mean, I'm just going to tell myself, it was like my pants were on fire. I couldn't tell enough people, do you, do you know Jesus? He is awesome. Do you remember that? Are you still like that today? Are you deeper? Has your faith evolved? There are three things I believe you have to do for your faith to evolve. First, you have to study God's word. I mean really study God's word. You need to hang out with him and get to know him. How can you defend him if you don't know what's in the word? It's pretty difficult. You have to study his word. Not just on Sunday. Not just when you're falling asleep. You need to study. You need to be a student of Jesus Christ. You need to recognize your calling. It's not Pastor George's job or any of the other pastors here to tell you what your calling is. You have to listen to him, and he will tell you. And don't sit in these chairs and tell me, well, I don't have a calling. Yes, you do. You do have a calling. God didn't create you to exist or to come to this church and sit in a chair. God created you to serve him. One, because he loves you. And two, because you're his child. We're supposed to serve him. So we need to recognize our call. Everybody has one. And you need to then apply action to your call. You need to go. You need to go and apply it to the lost. Amen? The Bible states 91 times. Now, when God says something once, I, you know, it, it's pretty important. When he says it two or three times, well, it's, it's a little more important. But 91 times, God says, serve the Lord, serve each other, or be a servant. Because he adores you. He wants you to serve him. So God gave me this vision months ago. And so I'm just going to tell you it. I want you to think of life like family feud. 
Everybody know the game Family Feud? What's the guy's name? Something Harvey. Steve Harvey. So the people come up, you know, and you, the top three answers are up on the board. And then whatever the question is, the person that hits the buzzer, it goes first. And, and then, the, you know, all the people are clapping. Good answer, good answer, good answer. When you stand before Christ, there's nobody saying good answer, good answer, good answer. When you stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, what are the top three things you did for me? Well, I, I went to church. Eh. Well, I, I read my Bible 37 seconds a day. And think about that. You see, the Lord your God loves you, but he is jealous. He wants all of you, not just some of you. In fact, the first two commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And you might be sitting here going, well, I don't have any idols. Really? What's that? Now, I'm not picking on Apple. And I'm not picking on people that own one. But I am saying anything you put before Jesus Christ in serving him is an idol. Anything in your life that's more important than Jesus Christ is an idol. If you have your kids or your parents before, you, before Jesus Christ, it's an idol. And you might go, oh, that's so harsh. Luke chapter 14 says, if you cannot hate, the, he uses the word hate, your mother, father, brother, sister, husband, or wife, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. Do you actually think for one minute God wants you to hate your mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife? Of course not. He wants you to love them and respect them and take care of them. But if they're more important than him, he is saying, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. He's jealous. He wants all of you. Every ounce of you he wants. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. 1 Samuel chapter 12, But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. 2 Chronicles 19.9, You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly. Luke chapter 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, it's all about Jesus, and he wants all of you. And if you're going to be a servant, and you're going you're gonna to defend his kingdom, you have to study his word. You have to. You can't work at the Ford dealership and not know anything about a car. You can't work for AT&T and not know anything about a cell phone. So you'd study the owner's manual. Then how much time are you studying God's manual? You want to defend the kingdom? You want to change the community? Know his word. Just know his word. Hang out with him. He'll download it.
Read the book. Amen? It's getting awful quiet in here. You might be sitting in your chair and saying, but I don't have a calling. Really? Yes, you do. And I'll prove it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. And it goes on in that verse to talk about that God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And it doesn't get any more foolish than me. It doesn't. I have no business living in a country ministering to all of these pastors and leaders when I brutally murder their language. But because God said, this is what you're supposed to do, do it. We didn't argue. I didn't say, well, I'm not qualified, I can't do it. How many people in this room have been called to something and you've passed on it? Boy, it's really quiet in here. Is it quiet every Sunday like this? Ooh. I have a good friend of mine, and I love him to death. I do. I love him. I love him. He's one of my favorite people. And he is the most talented human being I think I have ever met. But he sits in a chair and never answers God's call. And I'm going to tell you, I've watched the opportunities float by the river. Float by opportunity after opportunity. He sits on the side of the, on the, side of the river going, I, sh- I should jump, I should, and he doesn't. And he's now 60 years old. And he's passed up on all those opportunities. You see, God has a call for everyone. It's our job to recognize what it is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. You see, God doesn't want you to be in between. He doesn't want you just to be a churchgoer and then leave church and have nothing to do with him. You see, because in Revelation chapter, chapter 3, it says, do not be lukewarm. In other words, you're either going to be a Christian, act like a Christian, and do what Christ says, or get out. Then just don't be a part of it. He says it's better for you to just say, I'm not part of this at all. Because if you're lukewarm, it says he will spew you from his mouth. These are not my words. You can read the book. Either you want to be the real deal or you don't. It's up to you. You see, God gave us all free will. We have, the, we have the choice. Church isn't about Sunday. Church isn't about this building. Church isn't about gathering together. That's church. Church is out there. That's where church is. You come here to sharpen each other, to encourage one another, to get behind one another. Do you think God wants you just to come to this building on Sunday, occupy a space, listen to his word, and then go out the door and do nothing? That's a waste of time. 
You're wasting your time and his time. We serve an incredible, incredible Savior. Ephesians chapter 4. You've all read this hundreds of times. This is the words of Paul. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, you received that calling when you said, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. You have, you have loved me, changed me, and now I want to do something for you. So I'm going to represent your kingdom. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You see, life's about one thing. I'm convinced. The older I get, and I know I look 30, thank you. <clears throat> I only got one. Woo! <clears throat> I am convinced the older I get, life is about one thing and one thing only. One. One. It's Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. There is, there, there is nothing else. If you have lots of money, when you die, somebody else will spend it. If you have a big house, somebody else will live in it. You have multiple cars, somebody else will drive them. Now, I'm not saying anything is bad with those things, but if they're more than him... We've missed it. Psalm chapter 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Mm. But see, it's not just enough to recognize your calling. Now you have to apply action to it. You have to make it move. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, guess what? Everybody in this community does not know Jesus. Everybody in your area of influence does not know Jesus. Everybody in your family does not know Jesus. Everybody you work with do not, does not know Jesus. Those are your areas of influence. You're not a better Christian if you decide to be a missionary and move to a foreign country. That doesn't make us better. That just means we were obedient. Are you obedient? Are you applying action to the call? Yes. Yes. Only you can answer that. You have to decide that every day. That You know what? I'm going to make a difference. And I'm not saying you have to go stand on a... a this isn't going to collapse, is it? <laughs> Stand up here and preach Jesus wherever you work. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a great line that says, I would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. So where you work and the people that you influence, do they know that Jesus radiates from you? That's what it's about. James chapter 2. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is... You know the verse. Are you applying action to your call? Just think. I mean, I look around this room and, and, and I think, how many people do each one of you know 
it'd be hundreds. The kingdom would change just from one group of people. Christ changed the world with 12 people. Matthew chapter 28. Everybody knows this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, go. Two letters. Two letters. Go. You don't have to go to the Dominican Republic. You don't have to go to Cuba. You don't have to go to Africa. You have to go across the street. You have to go to the next cubicle. You have to go to the next cashier. It says go. It says go and make disciples of all nations. Well, isn't this a nation? This is a nation, isn't it? This community is part of a nation. It says go. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a scary, scary story. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to paraphrase it. I didn't write the story. It comes out of the book of Luke, chapter 16. It's about a rich man and a beggar. And the rich man has everything. In fact, it says he's, he's dressed in purple and fine linens. He has everything. Huge house, multiple cars. Just work with me. Multiple cars. Gorgeous furniture. The finest of everything. And there's a beggar that sits out at his gate who has nothing. Waiting for the scraps from his garbage. In fact, the beggar is so poor that it says the dogs come to him to lick his sores. Well, the beggar dies. And moments after that, the rich man dies. The beggar is ushered to Abraham. And he's sitting with Abraham, and the rich man, well, he's ushered to hell. And the rich man yells across. It says that the rich man can see Lazarus and Abraham sitting there. And he yells across the canyon and says, Abraham, please send Lazarus back to dip his finger in cold water and put it on my tongue because I am in agony. And Abraham says, I can't do that. No, I I can't do that. And besides that, between you and I is a great chasm, a great expanse has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to there cannot. Or anyone that wants to go from there to here cannot. So now I want to put this in perspective. When you die, and that's guaranteed, when you die, and I'm believing that I'm going to go to heaven, I'm always speaking personally here, I don't want to look across the great chasm at people that I could have shared Jesus with and decided it wasn't worth my time. 
or I would be embarrassed. I can't bring up Jesus. What will they think of me? Who cares what they think of you? It only matters what he thinks of you. It's all about Jesus. I don't want to look across that and go, oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's our job as believers to take every opportunity that God gives us. Every opportunity. And yes, I know you're going to face trials and tribulations. I understand that. But you're to defend his kingdom. It's all about him. You see, you saw a nice video today about Greg Rooks and his family. The interesting part of Greg Rooks and his family is Greg Rooks' mother and father are pastors. And when we first moved to the Dominican Republic, they were one of the first pastors. In fact, they were the first pastors we ever worked with. And you have to understand, Greg Rooks was, was not following the Lord. He had enough church with his mom and dad. I'm done. I'm walking away. But God got a hold of him through Everyday Ministries, and now he works full-time for us. And he is on fire for the Lord. And it wasn't about me, and it wasn't about Renee. It was about two kids from Minnesota that said, you know what, we'll go. I know my sons, and I have one son sitting back there. When we moved to the Dominican Republic, I can tell you the dirty looks I got. <clears throat> I can probably, well, I don't know the names I was called, but I'm sure there were a few. And you see, when, when I, we answered the call, we went to my parents' house. And I sat with my mother and my father, who I adored. And I sat with them at their kitchen table, and my father was in his first stage of Alzheimer's. And I sat with them at their kitchen table. I still remember it vividly like it happened yesterday. And Logan and his brother were showing them on a globe, showing their grandparents where they were going to move to. And I could see my mom. She was just brewing. I could see... Oh, boy. You see, my parents weren't Christians. I got ordained. They didn't attend. They never called, never even bothered. So I knew when we went there to tell them this, they, it wasn't going to go well. And went about five minutes, and my mom finally looked at me and said, Get out. Get out of my house. I don't ever want to see you again. And when your father dies... I'm not going to tell you. Get out. So we did. I honored my mother's wish, grabbed my family, put them in the car. My oldest son, about a block away, leans forward in the car and goes, that went well. <laughs> I, can, I can laugh now. But I wasn't laughing then. I went back to where we were staying. I told Renee, I said, I need to talk to God. I need to ask him. Because I love my mom and dad. They were always really good to me. They were great parents. And uh, I remember being on a walk. And, and I remember I, telling God, what, Lord, what do I do with this? I, I love my mom and dad. And I heard him say to me, so... Do you serve me or do you serve your mother? And I said, have you met my mother? <laughs> and I said, you know what, Lord, I, I serve you. 
And he said, I told you to go. So go. So several months later, we went to the mission field. And every Sunday at that time, now remember, I'm dating myself a little bit. At that time, you had to go to the, 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 the office area to use a Vonage phone to call back to the States. So every Sunday, I would faithfully call my mom. And you know when you, you have to make a phone call and you pace back and forth like this, like this? I wore out about three pairs of shoes in about eight months because I didn't want to call. Each phone call was two minutes. Two. It was never about my dad's health. My mom would not tell me anything about it. During that time, eight months later, we went back to, to go for furlough. During that time, my mom wrote me out of her will and made her friend the health directive to her and my father. So I was out. Eight months later, I came back. I called my mom and said, I want to come and see you. Is that okay? And she said, yeah, we'd really, we would really like that. And I'm like, okay. But I didn't take my family because I was afraid of what my mother was going to say to them. And I did not want to expose them to that. I figure if she wants to be angry and vicious, I'll take it. But I'm not going to expose my family to it. And at that time, my dad had progressed in his Alzheimer's, and now he was having to be put to bed. So my mom, we had dinner, and it was nice. Conversation was nice. We had a lovely time. And I was going to stay there. I was staying there overnight with them. And so my, so my mom goes to put my dad to bed, and it's taking a really long time. I mean, it's a long time. And finally, my mom comes out of the bedroom, and she is weeping. And I'm like, uh-oh, here it comes. And she says, sit down, I need to talk to you. I was wrong and you were right. Can you please forgive me? You do not serve me, you serve him. So I don't tell you that story so that you're impressed. I tell you that story because I've lived it. And we all face trials and tribulations. There's a price to everything. There is a price to everything. But it's all about what we do here to get glory there. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Life consists of one thing, and it's serving Jesus. Can I borrow a chair? Just one single chair. I'm going to close with this. Now, my son, my son knows what this is because I've used it many times. In fact, can I have two chairs? I'm not trying to be greedy. <clears throat> When we die, this is what I think happens. You're ushered into a room. Peter says, hey, glad to see you're here. Sit down. Jesus will be right with you. 
Can you imagine what you're going to feel like sitting right there? Now, there's a big screen here. So Jesus comes in the room, and Jesus sits next to you. And he says, we're not going to have popcorn. We're going to watch a movie, though, of your life. And we're going to see what you did for me. So, now I want you to ask yourself, when you sit in that chair, what's the video going to show? Is it going to show you just came to church and sat in a chair? Is it going to say you read your Bible three times a year? Is it going to say, well, I prayed once in a while? Or is it going to say, man, this is what's going to happen when I go. I'm going to go, Lord, yes, that was me. I rocked. And he's probably going to say, settle down, Jim. (laughs) Yes, you were very good. You did this, this, and this. I can't understand why you did it. But you served me with every ounce of your being. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus. So as you sit in church today, are you willing to commit to serving wholeheartedly to your Savior? If you are, I want you to stand. If you do not, if you don't stand just because the good-looking missionary guy said so, <laughs> stand because you mean it. Because you see, this deal, this connection isn't between me and you. This connection is between you and him. So when you leave here today and I'm not with you, I'm not going to know if you did it or not, but he is. All right, so I want to do Dominican style again. If you really mean it, I want you to come to the front. Come on. It's between you and him. When God opens a door for you, walk through it. Don't question it. Don't say I'm not qualified because you know what? God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He's looking for doers. He's not looking for sayers. He's the real deal. You're the real deal. Do you have any idea? I mean, any idea how much your Savior loves you? Do you have any idea? He adores you. He created you. You all come in different shapes and sizes and colors, and it's beautiful. He's an incredible artist. Don't ever underestimate yourself. Don't ever listen to somebody else that says you're not good enough and you can't. Those are lies. Your father has never said that about you. Your father has always said you are perfect. I love you. I adore you. I want you to do something with your life. I want you to reach my other children who are lost. You're the deal. You're the deal. I can't emphasize this enough. You're the deal. You're the real deal.
Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.